You're listening to Trust Me, You're Broke. I'm your host, Julia, a millennial consultant in banking, here to give you some tips and tricks on how to make, save, and grow your money. Let's get started. Welcome back to Trust Me, You're Broke by at Wealth by Julia. I feel like it's been forever since I recorded the last episode, but in reality, I was just taking a break for family day. Although I don't have family here in Canada, I did want to just take some time off and um, do some self-care, I guess. But by the way, if you are curious um, why I'm not uploading certain episodes on certain days, then you can follow me on Instagram at Wealth by Julia, and I will be sharing most up-to-date updates on what's happening to my episodes. As well, I've had uh, quite a few new subscribers and followers this uh, past week and two weeks, I would say. So welcome if you're new to this podcast. There's a ton of uh, content ready for you. And with that said, let's dive right into today's topic. So today's topic could be very specific to the Canadian um, home ownership programs out there, but I did want to discuss home ownership, getting your first mortgage approved, for example, and just planning for the future if you are planning on buying real estate here. And if you are in Canada, you already know that um, certain metropolitan cities are extremely expensive when it comes to real estate because um, Canada is one of those countries where, you know, you have like three or four different cities where most of the population lives. And that's why real estate prices in those areas are extremely, extremely pricey. So, you know, naturally, if you do have plans to buy real estate here, it is important for you to make the appropriate plans to make sure that by the time you're ready, you have all the financials in place and you are just, there's no surprises in the process. Now, recently on social media, I've noticed something that is a little bit of a pet peeve because I think it's it's spreading misinformation and that's why I wanted to come up here and discuss it, especially TikTok. I mean, I've been on TikTok a lot and I think there's a lot of great short, informative, you know, encouraging personal finance videos out there. But when it comes to buying real estate in Canada and how to obtain your first or how to buy your first home, there's quite a bit of not misinformation, but it's not detailed enough to give you the whole picture. And that's why I wanted to come up here and discuss that because it's been a little bit of a pet peeve for me. So one thing that comes up repeatedly when you go into like real estate investment or buying your first home, uh, videos like that on social media is the concept of a down payment. So the classic down payment percentage. So for those of you who don't know what a down payment is, it's when you're trying to go to a bank and say, can you give me a loan, essentially what is called a mortgage, um, to buy my home, they will foot the bill for you know the entire house except a certain percentage, which you need to pr- be able to provide in cash. That's what we call a down payment to the loan. And so the, the classic percentage of the down payment that is usually recommended is 20%. So whatever your house cost is to have 20% ready. So let's say, you know, in 
in Toronto, a, a condo that's one bedroom is probably really pricey for simplicity. Let's say in this example, it costs $500,000. I know, don't come at me. I know there's a lot of um, condo prices these days that are way more expensive than that. But let's just say for simplicity's sake, it's $500,000, right? Then you are expected to bring to the bank $100,000, which is 20% of $500,000 as your down payment. So now once you have that 20%, the 80% will be funded by a bank of your choice. Now this 20% isn't a hard rule. What does that mean? That means if you want to put down 50% because you want your mortgage to be less than that or you have other obligations so you want to make sure that you can pay down this debt in a shorter amount of time, then maybe you're, you're going to put down a higher percentage than the 20%. As well, there is a minimum percentage and the minimum percentage is less than 20% and it really depends on the price of the home that you're trying to purchase. So if the purchase price of your home is $500,000 or less, your minimum is 5% in down payment. Um, so I see, this is where I get a little annoyed when I see videos saying, well, you just need 5% um, to buy your first home, which, you know, for a a $500,000 house, it's only $25,000. You only need to save $25,000 and you can buy yourself a one bedroom in Toronto. But that's actually not true because there's other factors to this that we need to remember. And there's other conditions for you to be able to only put down 5%. So, but I'll get to that. So the minimum down payment for a purchase price of 500,000 or less, as I said, is 5%. Now, if the home purchase price is anywhere between $500,000 to $999,999, so basically $1 below a million dollars, then your minimum down payment is 5% for the first $500,000 of your home purchase price. And for the remainder, it's 10%. So, it's not necessarily that you end up paying 15% of your house price, but it's just incrementally. So let's say uh, your house is $600,000, then for 500,000 of those, you only need to pay 5%, which is $25,000. And then for the remaining 100,000, you are expected to pay 10%, which is $10,000. So you'll end up with a down payment of $35,000 on a $600,000 dollar um, home price. Now, if your house is more than a million dollars, which by the way, the average price in Toronto for a house is well over a million dollars, I think. So it's pretty common now. Then your minimum required down payment is 20%. So you have to have $200,000 in your hands before you can ask for a mortgage from the bank on a $1 million plus home. So that's something to remember. Now, the issue that I'm seeing on social media is that a lot of people are preaching and encouraging people to have the minimum down payment ready for any house. And they're saying, well, you only need 5% on, on a house and then you can buy your first house. That's how I did it. And this is a very dangerous rhetoric because that's not the full picture. That's not how you're assessed. And, you know, you can't just go to the bank with $25,000 on your hands and say, okay, please give me the rest. 
so I can buy a $500,000 home. That's not how it works. How it works is a blended calculation of your household income, your expenses, but also based on interest rate. Many of you may have heard because of COVID-19, the federal interest rates on mortgages have dropped significantly. I think at one point it was at sub 1%, which is crazy because prior to um, COVID-19, it was around, I believe, 3.25% was basically like the standard interest rate. As of today, I think the interest rate is at around one point something percent, nearly 2%, um, but that's still very, very, very low interest rate. But your mortgage affordability, basically how much you're qualified for, is not based on the market interest rate. It's based on a government standard called the mortgage qualifying rate. And the mortgage qualifying rate is significantly higher than the actual interest rate that you will be charged from borrowing money from the bank in the form of a mortgage. So this is what they call the mortgage stress test. What does that mean? That means they're trying to assess, okay? So at 1.7% interest rate, you can afford, let's say, a $500,000 home. But what the government is really trying to assess is what if our market conditions change and all of a sudden we have to charge you 4% interest on your mortgage because they don't want a situation where you default on your mortgage. That's why they assess your affordability, your home price affordability based on an inflated uh, interest rate. And that mortgage qualifying rate used to be like 5.17, I believe, but that's also dropped significantly. Let me give a quick check right now. So right now, uh, as of August 12, 2020, the stress test rate, which is also the mortgage qualifying rate, dropped to 4.79%. So it actually fell quite a bit. Um, in early 2020, apparently it also reached a record low of 4.64%. So basically how banks assess whether or not you can afford your mortgage is based on this percentage, the 4. I guess 79%. It's not based on the market percent. So that's number one. Number two is when a bank assesses how much they're willing to lend you, aka what we call the mortgage affordability rate, they base your calculations off of two ratios. One is called the gross debt service ratio, and then the second ratio is called the total debt service ratio. And these ratios have guidelines by the, set by the government, right? So after a certain percent, um, they're not allowed to give you more than um, the percentage. So as a golden rule of thumb, for example, is you can afford a mortgage where your monthly housing costs are no more than 32% of your gross household income and where your total debt load, including housing costs, is no more than 40% of your gross household income. So to break that down, there's two ratios. The gross debt service ratio, which is your potential mortgage payments plus property taxes plus the heating costs of your building or your condo or your house, plus 50% of the condo fees. There's maintenance fees that you have to um, pay, right? On a monthly basis. All of that added together, divided by your annual income, 
and the ratio should be lower than 32%. If it's any higher than that, then your mortgage or your house is too expensive for you to sustain. In terms of total debt service ratio, uh, the ratio should be under 40%. And this is your housing expenses plus all of your other um, expenses, credit card interest uh, payments, car payments, loan expenses, all of that divided by your annual income. So there's a couple of things to note here. Firstly, if you're looking to get a mortgage, the TLDR is make sure you have minimum debt in order to be assessed a higher interest, uh, oh, sorry, a higher mortgage affordability rate. Make sure you don't have any trailing credit card interest payments, so pay your credit cards on time. So this um, credit card fees portion is not about how much credit card usage you have per month, it's how much you are not paying back on time, and as a result of that, how much you're paying in interest fees. Um, so make sure you have good control on your credit card usage. Uh, car payments as well. Make sure your car is fully paid off if you can, because in Canada, for uh, cities like Toronto, where the real estate is extremely expensive, you want to do anything possible to make sure that um, your income is as high as possible and your expenses are as low as possible. And banks go... Um, back in time around two years back to assess your total mortgage affordability. So it's not just a short term, okay, I'm going to pay it off and then I'm good. It's you have to show a good healthy trend of paying back your loans, paying back your car payments, etc. As well, when you are trying to get a mortgage, do not make new purchases on credit. So don't buy a new car and start making car payments because you don't want to do that because that ruins your total debt service ratio and that lowers the amount that the bank is willing to fund you. Now, I know that's a lot. That's a lot of details and a lot of ratios and it's really complicated and there's a lot of loaded terms there. Basically, a good rule of thumb that you should remember is whatever your income is today, your gross income, so not after taxes, right, before taxes, your gross income times four is around the amount that you are going to be uh, approved for your mortgage. Another misconception is that once you have a down payment, the rest of the, uh, the rest is going to be funded by, um, the bank. But that's not necessarily true. So let's say, oh, I have 5%, then the bank is going to give me 95%. That's not necessarily um, what that means, okay? So you have a general, based on all of these calculations, you have an affordability uh, a number that the, the bank is willing to lend you. So give you a prime example. For an individual with a $70,000 um gross income. And let's say it's just, I don't want to go through the entire calculation. So let's just say times four. So you're looking at um, a mortgage of $280,000, right? And so let's say you want a house that's $500,000, right? Then you need to come up with $220,000 as your quote unquote down payment in order to afford that condo. So no, you can't just come with $25,000 and expect that the rest will be funded by the bank because you're not making enough money and or your expenses and your debt is too high. 
Now, the reverse calculation of that, let's say you want a $500,000 condo and you are willing to put down 5%, which is $25,000, right? Then your mortgage affordability amount has to be, what, $475,000. So what we're saying is in order for you to afford a $475,000 mortgage from the bank, your total household income has to be, and I'm not good at math, so let's say it has to be how much, like, around 120,000. That's how much you need in order for a bank to be happy to lend you a $475,000 mortgage. And that means all of these people out there oversimplifying this process and saying, well, you only need a minimum of 5% is not correct because really the deciding factor of how much a bank is willing to lend you is based on these ratios, based on your income and based on the expenses. So, you know, that that example of around, you know, $420,000 for a uh, $475,000 mortgage, for example, that's assuming that this person has zero expenses and this person has zero heating costs, zero maintenance fees, zero property taxes to pay, which is extremely, extremely unrealistic. That's not the case, right? So it's a, it's a very generic like calculation that I'm trying to give here, but that is the reality of getting a mortgage. It's not just about having a minimum percentage ready and voila, they're just going to give you the rest of the money. So what does that mean? That means housing is incredibly hard to afford here in Toronto because if you're a single person, that means you alone have to have at least, you know, $120,000 in total income a year to be able to afford a, a condo that's $500,000 here in in downtown and as you all know like the prices are extremely high these days so you're going to see like more like $650,000 to $700,000 for some of these condos and what you see is also a bidding war where a lot of people you know list their condo for $499,000 for example and then it actually gets you know, uh, spiked up to 600 because there is a constant bidding war. There is a limited supply to a huge amount of demand. And that's actually what we're seeing in the real estate market these days, where um, there's a limited supply in the market and there's a lot of people looking to buy because of these unprecedented um, percentages in terms of interest rates. So there's a lot of people looking to buy. Um, So do I think the housing market is very, it's a housing crisis? Yes, because, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that your, your, um, I think the average pay in Ontario is like 70,000 or something like that. And so, you know, if you do the times four, then you're looking at someone's affordability at around 280,000 plus maybe, you know, they have $100,000 in savings or whatever. So you're looking at a, a, an average Torontonian or Ontario person being able to afford a house of $380,000, right? Alone, not as a household, but as as an individual. And then you have the average prices of homes in the market here being like $900,000. It just doesn't add up, right? So that's why you see a lot of people complaining about um, and discussing this housing crisis and how we potentially have a housing bubble because compared to people's income, it's just, it's too, way too expensive. Um, 
So that's why a lot of people wait to get married or have a partnership because then both of your incomes can be calculated within this household income. And obviously, let's say if two people are making $70,000, then now you have a household income of $140,000, which makes it slightly more affordable to get something um, here in Toronto. So as I alluded to um, in the, earlier in this episode, you know, there is a mortgage qualifying rate. And this is something that is really, really important for you to keep in mind because a lot of banks have a mortgage affordability calculator and they ask you to um, input the interest rate, whatever interest rate you're expecting, and also the uh, amortization rate, which means basically how long are you going to have this loan for before you pay it off. And usually it's like 25 years, longer than that, there's 30 years. You know, mortgage payments are a lifelong thing. So um, usually people put down what's the market rate right now. So, oh, the market rate is one point whatever. So I'm just going to put that in and then voila, you get a mortgage affordability rate that's significantly higher than what you're actually going to get approved for. Because when they do calculate your mortgage affordability, they will calculate you based on the minimum or the mortgage qualifying rate or the market interest rate plus 2%, whichever is higher. And this is for the case where your mortgage is uninsured. And what that means is your down payment is more on or more than 20% uh, of your entire mortgage. So if that's your scenario, then you're either going to be assessed at the current mortgage qualifying rate of, um, I, I, I forgot it already, it's like 4.97 or something percent, or your target, aka the market interest rate of one point something plus 2%, whichever is higher. So currently, the higher interest rate is the government-appointed MQR. So that's the number that they're going to use to calculate your mortgage affordability. And, you know, as much as this sucks because it really brings down your mortgage affordability, right? You're looking at assessing someone at a 4% interest rate when really the market interest rate is 1%. So it's really stringent compared to some other markets out there. Um, But this is actually what essentially saved a lot of people uh, in the 2008 housing crisis. Um, If you see U.S. as an example, example, the reason why, you know, there was a 2008 housing crisis was because not only because, you know, there was fraudulent activity and people were um, giving uh, or issuing subprime mortgages to a lot of just regular people who should not have been um, given these mortgages. You know, uh, if you look at the, uh, if you watch the movie The Big Short, and I think I mentioned it like multiple times uh, in my podcast, but it's one of my favorite movies because it really does break down the housing crisis and what was happening. So there was a fraudulent aspect to it, obviously, but the other aspect to it was that simply, you know, there was a federal measure going on in during that you know presidential administration where the president, who I'm not going to mention, <laughs> you can just search up who was the president in 2008, right, or prior to 2008. Um, basically, the the concept was you know let's give every American a home. Every American should be owning a home. This was the program that um, this person was basically implementing for many, many years before the housing market completely collapsed in 2008. 
And as a result of that, these banks, you know, um, were kind of going past all of these regulations. There was weak regulation. There were a ton of loopholes. And so people who really could not afford the houses that they were in were being given mortgages um, to pay for that house. And so what happened when the economy crashed and the interest rates spiked up, people couldn't afford it at all. I mean, they couldn't afford it in the first place, but now they really had to pay their mortgage payments and they couldn't pay it because the interest rate was going up significantly. So this policy of the mortgage qualifying rate is what prevents that because they're testing your stress level, right? So if the, you know, the economy were to all of a sudden charge you four times more the interest than what you're seeing today, you would still be able to afford it. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. It's really protecting consumers and protecting people. But it's just unfortunate that the housing market is so expensive that, you know, a a person that's doing quite well, like even a person who's making $100,000, you know, you're looking at a mortgage affordability rate of $400,000. And to find something that's $400,000, at least in, in these metropolitan cities, is near impossible, right? Which is what makes it more all the more important for someone to save up cash more down payment because that's the way you can afford more of a an expensive or you know a regular i guess here in toronto or i guess in vancouver as well uh house price so there's so many more aspects and layers to mortgage affordability than just five percent and you can buy a house like no you can't (laughs) and I, i just wanted to come up here and um kind of debunk that myth because i'm seeing a lot of younger i guess gen z's who all of a sudden became millennial uh sorry all of a sudden became millionaires for some reason like they're going on tiktok and saying this is how i did it and uh i highly doubt that you know i doubt that they did that based on just their income alone what probably happened is and this is happening in reality right is a lot of people are using um their parents because then you can add to the household income plus your parents probably have more cash on hand to help you uh, a bit with uh, a down payment that's higher than maybe even higher than 20 percent, so that you can get a place here and the reason that people do that is because well a rent is so expensive here so if you were to buy and uh, and just pay the mortgage payment it will probably be equal or slightly less even so that's why a lot of people buy it and then also for investing purposes because the housing market is crazy you know and there's bidding wars as i said you know if you have if you can get your hands on real estate then it's it's a great way to make a lot of money i mean you hear crazy stories like someone bought a house kept it for three months and then listed it on the market and then all of a sudden they've made one hundred fifty thousand dollars in those three months you know, this is why people go crazy um, buying houses and condos and investing and, and stuff like that. And when you see stories like Toronto Shack sold for, you know, $1.2 million, like these are real stories, right? And you're thinking, who is crazy enough to buy a shack for that much? It's because they're investors. They're buying that just to build up a new house and then they can sell it for $3.2 million and then they have a profit, you know, of $2 million within a year. And that's what they're, what they're aiming for. So 
it's a very interesting housing market to be in. I don't know where you guys are from and how it's like there, but there's a lot of influences as to why the housing market keeps spiking up. I think fundamentally one big reason is, you know, just unfortunately there's a lot of unused land in in Canada and most of the population live around the US Canada border and that makes it, you know, job opportunities are more prevalent there as well and so that makes it a lot more enticing. But what you've actually seen uh, in this uh, past year was I feel like what was much needed at least for renters was that because a lot of people were moving back home because they didn't feel the need to stay in the city anymore uh, due to work from home and remote remote work measures um, a lot of the rent has been just tumbling down because you know there's now more supply than demand so if you're a renter out there and you're not ready to buy a house yet like congratulations maybe look for a new place because the house, uh, the 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 rent is significantly decreasing, and I, lo- I know a lot of people who actually chose to live alone during this time period because, you know, usually a a one bedroom in Toronto would be like two thousand. At one point, I was seeing like twenty two hundred dollars per month, which is freaking crazy. And now, you know, I'm seeing listings of like fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred, uh, which is obviously far more manageable and I think so a lot of people are choosing to have that experience these days Um, so quite an interesting topic but I guess moral of the story is if you want to know how much you can afford um, go on to CMHC. This is the kind of mortgage uh, governmental site for Canada. Uh, and there are calcul- calculators there that you can use for mortgage aff- affordability. And you can also put in, you know, for a $500,000 house, what does that mean in terms of mortgage payments? How much would I be uh, paying per month? Uh, you can do all of those calculations and make a plan for yourself as in, you know, the income, maybe the timeline that you're expecting how much you need to save up for, you know, a a condo of your choice, for example, all of that, you can do some planning, but yeah. So that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it didn't depress you guys too much because I know there's a lot of, you can do it on this, on social media, but in reality, you know, a lot of people are faced with disappointment when they actually go through this process. And as always, you know, this is not financial advice. This is something that actually my friends and colleagues who have been mortgage advisors have actually taught me. So I'm relaying the knowledge back to you guys. Um, it's doable, but it's obviously a lot harder than a lot of people say. And you can always start with, you know, locations that are not so prime, uh, smaller condo if you're looking to buy things like that. Or um, pre-builds are usually cheaper than market um, existing resale homes and condos. So all of those things are ways that you can kind of speed up the process, I guess. But all I'm saying is this is difficult. And so don't look at other people who have houses or condos and think, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? it's likely that you know their parents are footing the bill (laughs) and I no judgment to that by the way because I mean affordability is just so 
low here that that could be one of the only few options and honestly if you're privileged enough to have that as a resource by all means like go ahead you know i mean investing in real estate is always smart especially in a in a market like this so um no judgment to that but i'm saying for those of you who don't have that as an option don't feel like you're behind other people that's really not the case it's really you know as i kind of depicted in today's episode it's just really hard to to buy a house in a market like this so um that's all for today and i will see you next week bye hope today's episode was informative and fun if you like this episode please give my podcast a like a five-star review and a follow Also, go follow me at Wealth by Julia on Instagram for more tips and tricks. I'll talk to you soon.